the worst couple things that we can tell players is have fun. Um, that's awful. Number two, um, be calm. That's terrible. Three is to treat it like a practice round. It's not. And welcome back to another Park Train. My name is Evan Singer. We got Mr. Matt Cermek here. We are your hosts. What's up? Matt, are you fired up right now? We're always fired up on the train. I mean, guys, we're just bringing you incredible interview after incredible interview. I mean, Brett didn't disappoint. Second time Brett McCabe, PGA Tour sports psychologist, joined the show. Um, This one will not disappoint. But before we get to that, quick word from our friends at Roback. Um, We talk about them a lot. Um, It's probably the only case where we are sponsored and partners of them. We will still buy their stuff because we love it so much. And guys, guess what? It's starting to get a little warmer. I know those folks not in warm climates are starting to see the sun creep over the hillsides and the the ice is melting (laughs) over. Okay. Um, Roback just released some new spring polos. Guys, it's this time of year. That's perfect to get yourself. He's got it on. This is the perfect time to get yourself some new polos, maybe a Q-zip in case it's a little chilly still in the morning there. Um, but guys, hit the link in our show notes and our, our bios and all of our social media accounts at the Par Train. Give us a follow if you don't already. Click those. It's always there. You click that link. No need to enter a promo code. It'll auto-apply in the cart 15% off your first order at roback.com. And uh, Who doesn't want 15% off? Who wouldn't? I mean, wake up. But definitely take advantage, guys. I'm telling you, it's the best gear around. I I don't think I've said this before, but I had a whole closet of Travis Matthew. I I don't know if I told you this, sir. I literally gave it to, I gave it away. I got rid of it all because I don't wear it. The collars fade; they don't stay up. Yeah, I mean, they're old news. Yeah. All right, let's talk about Brett. Brett McCabe, as I said, sports psychologist. What did you think, sir? What was your main takeaway? He's great. Um, he's, I think we were saying it off air. He's, he's like Sean Foley in the sense he just, he just wants to be in the battle with his players. Yeah. And he's got some of the top guys out there. Billy Horschel, Brian Harmon, just played great with the players. Yep. Um, we talked a lot about the players. Um, but you know, what was cool about this episode, Ev, is he talked about his game, mm-hmm. right? And he's a good player. And he talked about, you know, doing as a mental, as one of the best you know, sports mental coaches out there dealing with his own battles, right? Mm-hmm. And how he internalizes and how he, what he focuses on and how he takes his, his experiences. So oftentimes you're not going to get that side of a, of a sports performance coach, right? People think they've got to be experts, you know, all the time, even with their game. And it's not, it's not the truth. Golf is so difficult and complex and yep. um, a lot of great tour talk too. So no, it was, it was a great episode. I just really love his style, his delivery. Um, he's got that intensity. It's cool. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's uh, my main takeaway was, you know, it's funny, Matt. We, every week we see examples of it, right? Brennan Todd, who we've had on the show, makes an ace on 17. The next day he hits a shank in the water. Like I think it was an one ace of the on best 10. players in the world. And we see that we see Tiger be the best, and then we see him get the chipping yips. We see Trevor Illman win the Masters. He never wins a tournament again. We've seen so many examples of the best players in the world struggle, and I think one of my main takeaways is just remembering: like, if this game was easy, we'd all be plus handicaps. The best players in the world would win every week. Like, it's not easy. It's the hardest right. game for a reason. So. Our expectation, I know we talk a lot about expectations. We talk a little bit about it here, but I think Brett talks about expectations in a different way. He uses a lot of great analogies, and I would just encourage everyone to listen to the end because I think it's a great reminder before you play next of like, we probably think we're better than we are, and we're probably not giving ourselves the best opportunity to hit good shots by not having a high level of intention and even focusing on what we're trying to do. Right. He described it as driving a really fast car with no, no braking system. Constant theme too. a lot of people we're talking to about the power of vocalization. Mm -hmm. He talks about that in the episode. When you get over a shot, vocalize it. It does work. Great episode. 
it yeah. does work as it turns out. All right, guys. Well, as always, Matt, what's the most important thing to remember? Just enjoy the ride. I mean, that's it, right? Enjoy the ride, guys. Get out there, enjoy the ride, accept the bad ones, embrace the, the good ones. Keep the reviews coming too. Give us a review on Apple Podcasts. Give us a follow on Spotify. Subscribe on Apple iTunes, all of it. And give us a follow on social at the Par Train. And guys, tweet us. We got some fun stuff coming for you soon. So keep your eyes peeled. All right, guys, stay healthy, right. stay well, take care. Enjoy the ride. Sports psychologist on the PJ Tour, Brett McCabe. Welcome to the show, Brett. We're excited to have you back. Hey, I'm glad to be back. I uh, must have done something right to be invited back or, or fixing problems. So what are we doing here? You're a, <laughs> you're a fan favorite. So uh, I'm sure our listeners are going to be excited to have you back. Um, Brett, Sweet. before we dive into asking you about different things and talking a little bit about your game. I actually wanted to start you off with a quick story. Um, mm -hmm. And then I want to get your take on it because uh, this story is actually, I've been wanting to tell this on the podcast for a while. I was waiting for this interview with you and I want to get your take on it as kind of a jumping off point. So okay. uh, recently, I don't know if you've ever played Aviara in San Diego. Yes, absolutely. I have so, actually. So I got to play it for the first time a few weeks ago. I was lucky enough to have two good friends that are not from Southern California. I'm from St. Louis originally. Both be in town for something, and we were able to play together. Mm -hmm. uh, we haven't played together in probably 20 years. And so um, I paid a lot of money to play there, right? Two really good friends. Shouldn't have had pressure on the line, but one of them is a member guest partner of mine. He's a scratch player, played in college. And I historically have struggled over the years not pressing when I play with them because it's the classic example of you want to show your friend how far you've come, right? You want to show them how good you're playing. And it's interesting, as I started playing this round, I kept telling myself to let go. I was playing with this new swing feel. And you know how pros will say, yeah, it's, it's translating to the course, but I haven't played with it under pressure yet. This okay. was kind of my first pressure moment for me. And I just couldn't let the club go. Mm -hmm. And I kept telling myself to let it go. I couldn't let it go. Then I got upset at myself for not being able to let it go. And then on top of that, you think about things like, well, I help. I have my own mental students. We talk about the mental game on the podcast. And you start to go in a negative spiral about being a mental coach and not being able to break out of that spiral. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I realized, wow, this is a really great learning because this probably feels similar to how either one of my players feels or how average players feel where changing your thoughts doesn't feel like a, an option in the moment where you get into a negative spiral. You just can't break out of that funk and that negative energy, right? And so that's what made me think of you again and think, you know what would be really fun and relatable for people is to talk about being a mental coach and your own struggles on the course. Because <laughs> um, a lot of people think that you got it all figured out, right? But <clears throat> you're a human being too. Yeah, but that's also why a lot of teaching pros and a lot of club pros don't play golf much because mm. they, they feel like they have to live up to some certain standard yeah. um, and they don't give themselves much grace. About five, six years ago, we were in our member guest and our member guest at Greystone is massive and it's a lot of fun and it's five days or four days of just really good golf and, and 160 teams or whatever it is. And it's just amazing. And um, so we're playing and we're doing the practice round the year before I'd won the practice round. We have a, a, a money pot in the practice round. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I've been playing really well and expectations were up and blah, blah, blah. And I go out there and, and I hadn't been working a whole lot. Um, well, people didn't know what I did very much. My, my friends did, but not, not guessed people wouldn't connect my name and stuff. And, and so I, um, that day I had like five plug lies and bunkers in the practice and I got so mad on the last one I I uh I quickly re returned my sandwich to the ground um and so tournament goes on we didn't make the shootout and my father-in-law who's my partner and I are sitting up in you know sandals and having a, a adult beverage watching the the shootout and some guy pulls up next to me and goes oh you're that middle guy aren't you and I said yes that's what I do he goes man I heard about what you did in the practice round I mean shouldn't you be better at that and you know and I was like I'm not here to work. Um, you know, I felt like saying, what do you do? And, oh, I'm a financial planner. Well, you know, you're overpaying for your shoes. You're an idiot. Okay. But 
<clears throat> that's what it is, right? We, we judge ourselves and, and, and being a coach of any kind is different than being a teacher. I had a coach on, um, on tour the other day, we were talking about something and he said, you know, a, a, a player who's now coaching came up to me and made a comment like, well, you know, I've got a better advantage of you because I've played. And he said, yeah, I get it. He goes, I'll never replace your playing time. But for the 17 years you were playing, I was studying swings and coaching every player that I possibly could. So, you know, we, we don't, we shouldn't look at our cardiac surgeons at how, what they eat. You know, we, mm-hmm. we have to look at people's expertise. And, and I think we put a lot of expectations on ourselves to implement what we know. Sometimes we carry what other people feel. Um, but at the end of the day, we have to, we still are playing a game that is very challenging and very difficult. And we hold ourselves to unrealistic expectations and standards. And they, they make it very difficult for us to perform. Um, because what happens is all, all that is drama. All those expectations, what other people think, you know, trying to control thoughts, all that's drama, right? What, what matters is, can I get to the, the level of intention I need to do to execute the shot in front of me? That's it. That's the data. The drama is what it means. The drama is who's in our group. The dra- and some drama does, does impact us. I mean, it, it, the, the worst couple of things that we can tell players is have fun, okay? Um, that's awful. Number two, um, be calm. That's terrible, you know, because Hogan did, whatever. Um, three is to treat it like a practice round. It's not. Um, you know, it's like telling our soldiers, just, just act like you're in North Carolina in the woods when they're in Iraq. I mean, it's, it's stupid. Um, it, we, we, we ruin everybody when we do that. The best thing is to do is instead to look at it and go, okay, this is hard. Right? It's hard for every one of us. Um, I, you know, I played yesterday. I, I had a great round. Um, last week I, I, I put it in my gen system and it rejected it. So what am I supposed to do about that? Right. The game is hard, but it wasn't that far off. And what we have to remember in everything we do is that the game is really hard and it's never that far off, even for our tour players. What is the alternative to have fun, right? Because Lee Westwood just talked about that yesterday of how obviously he's playing well, but he's really enjoying himself out there. Well, we can enjoy ourselves, but not go out there with the whole idea to have fun. I mean, we can enjoy the journey. We can enjoy the challenge. I mean, there's a lot of my good friends that love that enjoy going in the gym and feeling like they're going to puke, right? That's not fun to me, but for a lot of my friends, that is fun. Um, It doesn't mean in the exact moment it's fun, but it's the bigger picture. It's the impression that we take. Um, You know, I think any of my players will tell you that there are times when they hate the game. They, They literally will sit down and be like, I'm, I'm not, I'm not enjoying the journey. I'm not enjoying the grind. I'm not enjoying, I'm tired. I'm worn out. I'm frustrated. I feel like the game is hitting me, um, hitting me back and punching me harder than I want to do. And there's other times that people love to get that gurgle in the stomach going. And they love that feeling of being in the, in the hunt. Um, I think the thing is we can play well with, with both fields. We don't have to have fun to play well. We can do our work and look back and enjoy it. I mean, I think Justin Thomas, after the players, will look back and say, boy, that was fun. Probably on Wednesday, it wasn't having fun. We're talking about the players, you know, and obviously JT winning and Bryson last week at, at uh, Bay Hill, but everybody's talking about Westwood, right? And, and, and Evan just mentioned him, but he also talked about at Bay Hill that he just is at this point again in his career, he just doesn't care where the ball goes. Like, doesn't care, right? And he's... For a 47-year-old who played well last year, too. He's almost won two of the biggest tournaments on tour again. So you're talking about your players. I there were oftentimes we're not I'm not I'm not having a good time out there. I'm not enjoying the grind. Like, do you tell them, well, why do you care where the ball goes? Well, here, like, here's the deal. Lee cares where the ball goes. Right. What he's saying is I can accept a bad one. Right. So acceptance is the key, right? When a player's playing great and and the mechanics are clicked in and they're feeling good and they're right on the line. There's not a whole lot of over control of where the ball goes, but when the worse we play, the more we try to control the outcome because the outcome may mean something to us. So I had a player who was a teaching pro who played at a a power five conference. And anytime he overdrew the ball, it was almost this like visceral reaction to being unable to control his, his club face because 
he never really broke through and played on his college team. And every time the coach walked by, if you started a draw and it crossed the pin line, coach would say, that's just, see, that's why I can't trust you in competition. You can't control your club face. And so for him, it was an overlearned experience as to <clears throat> why to do that. Now, completely, I mean, completely stupid, to be honest with you, because he'd hit it five feet left of the hole and he'd be upset. And I'm like, my God, it's five feet, like good enough, right? So that acceptance is critical. What happens is what we normally do is we attach our emotions and our values to something, um, what the shot means is right. attached to something that we're doing. And, and what I think Lee or really was Rory, when he won the players uh, two years ago um, that he talked about his five P's, right. You know, patience, persistence, uh, purpose, whatever they were, what he was saying is all I can do is control what I can control. Right. That's all I can do where the ball goes. I'm not necessarily in control. And there are some days where it's just a tad bit off and the ball is going to be sprayed a little bit. We hit, you know, we don't hit, we don't shoot rifles. We shoot shotguns. And um, we have to realize that in that, you know, when you're watching, you know, Brendan Todd, who I love to death, lovely guy. I love his coaches. I love his mental coach Ward. I worked with Brendan one time, long time ago when he was in his really bad way. He shanked it on 17 the other day. Saw that. Okay. That's uh, right. I, yeah. Yeah. Listen, you know, we, we look at, these are the same fans that sit in the stands when a guy misses a field goal and be like, God, how can you do that? Uh, yeah. I, I was having a conversation with somebody this week and they're like, I just don't understand how somebody can shoot a score like that. I'm like, well, you're not in it. Like you're not in it. Like it is hard yeah. and there's a fine line between being great and sucking. And it's a very fine line. It's not that far off. We're just, just, it's just outside of our reach. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. We've, we've actually had Ward Jarvis on the show. We've had yeah. on the show. Love Ward. They're just, what a great, I mean, we could go on forever about BT and his story. Mm -hmm. But it, it's interesting to hear you talk. And then, you know, Evan kind of talking about his game. But for me, so uh, I played in college. And what I had found at times in college, and even still today, is if I have a bad warm-up and on the first couple holes, I hit a something really bad off the tee, a high right, or God forbid I hit something left. But if I do it, because <laughs> um, you, you talk about, you know, that's not controlling the club face. I often find myself going into knockdown mode. Like I've convinced myself I am flawed today. I don't have it. And I'm just getting into this grind mode and I can't convince myself that I do have it, mm -hmm. that I can cut it loose and I can hit that. You know, I can, you know, take that aggressive line off the tee. Talk about, talk through that because, you know, you don't get attached to outcomes, but you, you find yourself getting really attached to feelings and, and you get yourself in this. I'm, well, just, what, I'm just trying to get in the clubhouse kind of deal. Yeah, but what happens? So there's a great, great book, and it's essentially a psychology and, and behavioral economics textbook, but it's called Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman. Daniel Kahneman's a Nobel Prize um, recipient for his work in economics. He's a psychologist, and he does a lot of work on game theory and does a lot of work on um, a concept called loss aversion. And essentially, <clears throat> and the example that I use today is, you know, if we went to a blackjack table, I gave you $100,000 cash and said you had to put half of it down on one hand to blackjack. You would do it because you got no alternative, right? I mean, it's like, all right, so you do it, you go in and you lose that hand. You've just had a loss. 90% of people are going to take the money and walk. They're not going to sit and play. They're, or they're going to take part of that money and put it in their back pocket so they have a safety net, right? So they're mitigating their losses. And why we say, oh, that's really smart. The truth of the matter is most players, the best players in the world are willing to go to zero because no one ever thinks, how much can I actually win? Everybody's thinking, can I leave here with this? I've already got this money in my pocket. I've got whatever. And the reason for that, as Daniel Kahneman talks about, is that the brain is conditioned to protect against losses. Got our, we can't forget, right? We often talk about physical loss or things like that, but one of the most vert. I mean, just crushing um, losses is ego loss, confidence loss, shame, embarrassment, right? That, that's massive. So when, when we have one of those, um, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's those things that we have to be willing to go to zero in order to have the big paycheck. And <clears throat> I think the, the interesting thing is 
when I asked that to my tour players, you know, if you say $10,000, whatever, can you do it with $2 million on the line? Can you walk away? Can you, Patrick Harrington said something years ago. He said, American kids, he was making a generalization, but it was worth it. American kids on tour would rather be 30th in the field all week and then surge and shoot nine under on Sunday and get in the top five and think that's a victory as opposed to the kid who's in the lead all week and then spits the bit and comes in 10th. They'll see that as a failure. But what's a win is putting yourself in that learning situation because that like Doug Gim this week, learn more. Like he shouldn't leave bruised and beaten. He is, he is because you got in the, the biggest heat of the moment, but you should look at it and say, okay, I can be patient for it to happen again. But I learned more this week than making the cut and just hanging around and playing Sunday at 8 a.m. Like, how do you replace that? You just don't, right? But once we experience a loss of any kind, like hitting one bad shot on the range. Yeah, or this first hole, right? We're more powerful to try to prevent that. One of my players on the first day, on Thursday, hit the first tee shot on 10, OB. And the question was, how do we not feel that way? I'm like, you kidding me? It's like stepping in the ring and catching the first right hand. Like you are hanging on. It's not ideal. But what do you want to say? Like, oh, just ignore it. When that shot is your bugaboo, it is your misery. It is the one that you hate. It's the one because it triggers Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Got to keep club face square. Got to make sure it it triggers all these thoughts. Those are natural loss aversion thoughts. You just don't snap yourself out of it. You put your mouthpiece in and you deal with it. It, I mean, it was the same thing as a pitcher for me when I was pitching If the first guy, you know, my first slider hung and he hit it. It went yard. That's hard. Okay. But this is why it's a game a competition. It's not a, um, it's not a, it's not a validation yard. It's a competition and it's not fair. It's not just, there's no justice associated with it. Um, It's about facing that loss aversion and saying, I can accept the outcome, but let me try to go get as much of it as I can playing my strategy. So even if we have a feel that's off, I, I, I hate seeing a hard left. Okay. Yeah, it's the worst. Well, for some people, they hate seeing a high right. I actually, as a driver of a ball, I hate to see the ball get elevated in the air. I can accept a left. What I can't accept is a, is a bailout high, uh, high right. So I'm better off to hit a left. I don't like it, but I'm better to hit it. I don't like to do it with my irons. I'd rather hit with my irons a high right than a low left. But they just trigger different things for us. You know, for me, throwing a fastball, I hated seeing a ball bounce. I know people say, oh, my God, how would you bounce? It happens, right? Mm-hmm. I hated seeing a low and away bounce. I didn't have a problem with the ball going up and in. I didn't have a problem. I had the correction for that. I understood it. One of my guys on – one of my brilliant ball strikers on tour will tell you, he's like, I don't have a problem missing fairways. They don't bother me. But if he doesn't hit a chip right, he just goes into judgment zone. Mm-hmm. because he's not as confident short game as he is ball striking. Ball striking, he's like, whatever. It's just a day. I mean, big deal. Like, in yeah. other words, my self-image is okay. And see, that's where that loss aversion attacks us. Because the loss aversion attacks our self-image, our perceived self-image. Yeah. It's not so much the process. It's the perceived self-image that we have. You know, if, if we had trained kids early in golf and said, look, you got to think like fighters. You're going to be bruised. You're going to be bloodied. It's instead of romanticizing the great round that you played. Right. That doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. Yeah. The game is hard. Yes. It's full of should have. It's full of could have. You know, it's so funny. I love going to junior events and watching. I don't do them anymore because I'm because of how busy I've gotten. But um, I'd go to a junior event. I'd watch kids come in and they'd give their, um, they, they would give their scorecard. And they'd say, would you shoot? Uh, 78, but I mean, it could have been whatever. Nobody cares. <laughs> nobody cares. Yeah. Like seriously, nobody cares. That's all, that's all um, image, uh, image protection. Mm-hmm. That's trying to conserve this self-image that we have. 
Nobody Brett, I think cares. you said this last time you're on the show. You're embarrassed coming in talking about a number, whether it's member guest or whether it's a casual game with your buddies. Say your number and then immediately talk about the other person. Say, but you were striping it out there. And boom, they're thinking about themselves. 100%. Nobody thinks about you, right? Nobody cares. Yeah. I mean, think about it. So a couple of days ago, I was driving. I was leaving in the morning and I ran through McDonald's to get a cup of coffee. And I had like a gray pullover on and when they handed me the coffee the cup top came open and it spilled down my shirt it drove me nuts all day that i had spilled coffee in my sleeve not one person said anything to me not one person said a word to me about it but it drove me nuts yeah. nobody cares like we're so self-absorbed and we're so worried what other people think but if we're so self-absorbed don't you think they are too mm -hmm. like everybody's doing their own thing and we may look at somebody and go, man, Brett had a bad day. Okay, that happens. Mm -hmm. But if any of us are human and have a heartbeat, we also know, God, I've been there. You know, I mean, it's, it's okay. Like, and I think that's the thing that makes golf so hard is that golf is like going to the perfect vacation site. In your mind on the ride up, you're on TripAdvisor looking at what your round is going to be. And it's going to be perfect. Everybody's going to be gorgeous there. All the food's going to be amazing. There's no seaweed in the ocean. Got a cool breeze, perfect drinks. And you get there and there's a kid peeing in the pool. Okay. And you know, you, you, your sushi is just a little off or your drink is a little melt. Okay. That's reality. That's reality. Just quickly what you said about your player fine with missing a fairway because he's a great ball striker, not so fine, you know, chunking a chip because mm -hmm. it needs work. And that's exactly how I feel the opposite for me is I've, you know, never been the most consistent off the tee with my driver off the tee, but, but I've always found myself to have a good creative confident short game. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's totally true. You just get into this, your weakness, you, you magnify it. Yeah. Right. And you, and you, and you feel it such great shame because you've worked so hard to try to be better at it. And when it, and the worst comes out, you go into this dark place. <laughs> yeah. We yeah. have to, we have to lower expectations. If I, if I said, let's go get a burger today. And, and to me, I, I call it the cheeseburger test. The greatest, the greatest test for me of a, of a restaurant is the cheeseburger. If you have it on the menu and you mail it in on that, then what else did you mail in? Because the cheeseburger is not that hard to make. It's very low ingredients. Just make it a hand padded burger give me some good fresh ingredients. If the, if the lettuce is wilted and the pickles suck and the bun is just thrown on there, okay, you mailed it in. So why would I trust you on your special, right? But if I said, let's go get a good burger, and I took you to McDonald's, what would you say? You'd be like, I thought you said we're getting a good burger. All right. But I didn't tell you the conditions of the burger. If I said, hey, we need it fast, convenient, consistent, and we can eat it while we're driving, Go to Hardee's and try to eat their burger or Whataburger and try to eat their burger while you're driving. You can't do it. It falls all over the place. Okay. We got to understand what we're measuring. You know, if I said, hey, look, we're going to get this kick-ass burger. I'm going to take you to my favorite joint and it's going to be, you know, it, it's going to take 25 minutes to make. But I told you on the front end, you'd be like, sweet, I got 25 minutes. If I said we got literally eight minutes to go through a drive-thru and get a burger, McDonald's is that go-to place for that. For sure. Because it's not hard to eat while you're driving. We have to understand what we're measuring on expectations. You know, it's why when people, um, and this is what I love, people will say, I'll ask a new tour player, where do you like, oh, I love to play the U.S. Opens. Well, why? You know why that is? Because they know it's going to be hard. It's Yeah. It's tough. And yeah, go, I mean, go grind with the go grind with the best. Yeah, I mean, I you know, doc, you know, I just really struggle when I go play like Palm Desert or something like that. I mean, I got to make twenty six birdies or whatever. Right. It's like, okay, so what's happened is now you've made the easy hard and the hard easy, right. versus hey, that Palm Desert could be just as hard as the U.S. Open. The difference is on the you give yourself a margin for error at the U.S. Open, you don't give yourself a margin for error at Palm Desert. Despite the fact that in Palm Desert, when they replay La Quinta, there was no reason why they couldn't go out and shoot 61. I mean, you know, the, the sawgrass was the same way. I mean, I, I, you can shoot seven under there. 
and move up dramatically. It was a very fine line. You got in the right zones. You got in the right spots. You, you, you kept the ball in play. Well, you could go low. It, it didn't happen for everybody. But it, it, it's, it's amazing how a super – and walking that golf course, I know it doesn't – those guys put up some big numbers and, or some good numbers. I'm telling you, that golf course was difficult. Mm-hmm. Okay, It was really hard. And Thursday, I mean, I, when Sergio put up seven under, we were blown away blown away because the morning wave man they took on all the teeth i mean it was a hard morning wave yeah and players figured out they realize what to do they understand their lines they trust what they're doing we need to be that adaptable yeah one thing brett that i think is maybe could be helpful as a jumping off point is you know i was talking to my own coach right after i started my own business a little over a year ago and, you know, COVID hit and, you know, part of what I do is marketing. And obviously marketing is going to take a hit when people's budgets get cut. Right. And I remember it was, it was pretty hard at the beginning and still hard, you know, but I remember my coach saying something to me. She said, if it wasn't hard, wouldn't everyone be doing it? Like you're building your own business. It's supposed to be hard. You're doing something that not many people do successfully, right? And I think that is very true with golf as well. Like I, cause I think what you described with one of your players, I have felt many times and I felt it even more intensely after doing this podcast for four years is if you wanna talk about self-worth, like Sean Foley said on our show, like it's real, you can't tell a tour pro that it's just golf because golf is their identity. Golf is yep. everything they've ever done. Correct. So their self-worth is being tied to everything that they're doing. So I just, how can we break out of, and maybe the quote my coach told me is one way to do that, but how do we break ourselves out of this? We're putting so much time in, putting so much work in, so much uh, effort. And a lot of times you don't see the results and that's tough for people. Oh, it's hard. And, you know, I could give you the whole thing of trust the process and just invest in, that, that, that's, that rings hollow a lot. Right. But why are we so arrogant to think that our, res, our effort always has an immediate return on investment? Like that, that's an arrogance. If you think about it, because I'm that good that I've done the work that I needs, it doesn't go anywhere. So <clears throat> what to me, the hard thing is 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 that we the hard thing is to do the work without without any knowing return it's more than delayed gratification it's doing it to help improve me with without knowing that there's a result to validate it that is hard that is hard because why do we actually do the work? If we do the work to play better, okay, then we are going to be frustrated. But I'm also not naive to think, oh, well, I'm just going to do the work because it feels good to sit out here and chop wood. Like I chop wood so I can put wood in the fireplace to burn, you know, like everything has utility associated with it. You know, I think who are, you know, why do we do things like what? It's, it's why I call it Suckville, right? And, and I was listening to the PJ Tour live podcast or PGA Tour Live while I was in the car yesterday. And one of the announcers was talking about the Greek myth, uh, the Greek mythology um, case of, I don't think it was a god, but I think it was, it was the son of Zeus, um, Tantus, Tant- Tantalus. And he said he was, he was summoned to Hades um, by Zeus because he challenged the gods, the gods level. And he was summoned to stand in a pool of water just out the reach of the grapes and he was so thirsty and every time he bent over to drink the water the water retracted and every time he reached up to touch the grapes the wind blew <laughs> that's what we live in our game right and it, it's 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 a mind-numbing thing i mean i love it when somebody and i follow this as my own game right as i hit that you hit this perfect booming shot and it comes off so good and you hit it to six feet and you're like well i gotta validate it I got to make the putt. It stands alone. Mm. Golf is the ultimate biathlon. 
what it takes to putt and what it takes to hit a shot are two completely different skill sets. Yeah, it would have been different if we called it biathlons. But it's, but it's, it's, it's getting your mind just unattached away from what you just did, right? And I mean, so often, like you said, you hit a, you hit a great iron shot and you missed yep. that short putt. That could be dead straight, but you've got an attachment to, like you said, to validation or getting yourself back on track. You know, so often people say, well, I got that bogey back on six. It's like, no, you didn't. <laughs> the bogey's always. No, you don't there, get it back. Right. It's, it, I mean, it's on the card, right? Like you, you don't say par. You, you don't say par. You made par. <laughs> right. You know, it, I love it when people say my short game saved me. That's why you have it. <laughs> like the game never follows the expectation of what we think. And that's the, that's the issue, right? Is our expectations. Um, why is it a player who's sick and not feeling well is, um, you know, does well. There's no expectations. I, you know, I'll stand on the range and I'll see a guy flushing it. And I'm like, oh, crap. Because the hard part about that is now they're going to start thinking, it's just like me coming out of the bullpen and I had it all going perfectly. It's like, oof. And so, you know, it's, it's a really weird thing. I mean, it, it's, I don't want somebody walking off the range and clunking it. Right. But it's like, why don't we just go forward? There are different days. One, Mark Blackburn, who's one of my dear friends, who's a National Teacher of the Year in the PGA of America, teaches Max Homa and Ches Revy and a bunch of really good players. He calls it the ABCs. He's like, when a player's leaving Tuesday or Wednesday with his A game, watch out. You got to be more disciplined. You got to be more patient. You got to really manage it. If they've got their C game. We're all panicking as a coach, right? Because, but C, great players take their C game, make it a B game. Great players make their B game an A game. And the best take an A game and don't expect to have an A plus game. They realize the challenge that they have. They realize that they got a super fast car this week and they got to be disciplined in their decisions. Um, you know, I always say this, that great pitchers never really want to feel strong. They want to feel a little hurting because it keeps you from feeling like you need to overthrow and your body gets ahead of yourself. Those are all expectations. And a player comes off of a great week. They think they're going to go do it again. They're not. It's like watch, walking into Vegas and thinking you got it figured out. You don't. The odds do. And golf is a game of odds. Put the ball in position as much as you can. Let's see where it goes from there. So, so Brad, talk us through. You've got a player who, who gets a who wins or has a top five or has a great Sunday at the you know at the players, and he's coming in this week and he's feeling good. He's striping on the range. What are some of the things you're focusing on to make him more disciplined and strategic so he doesn't drive this fast car off the tracks? Well, what I'll tell him is, and exactly what I've told him is, hey, you're doing amazing stuff right now, but let's not play the 72nd hole before we get through the first hole, okay? You, you've done the work. The work's in the tank, and you're really dialed in. The risk is that we expand our mind. We don't have clear intention of what we want to do, and we don't have clear acceptance. This is a challenge to be really disciplined. You're doing great work. So let's win. We've won that game. Okay. We're prepared, but now we got to go out and play in a golf course. I mean, <clears throat> I've had a player call me and say, man, I'm hitting a great first drive gets buried up underneath the lip of a bunker. Hit it 10 yards further than he thought because he's catching it on the dime. Thanks. It happens, mm -hmm. right? It, it happens. Totally. Um, and, and that's the mind numbing aspect of competition. We never know what it's going to do. And instead, we just got to say, look, I know I'm feeling good. I got to be patient. Let me play eight holes absolutely perfect and be even par. Well, there's one of two ways to look at it. You haven't taken advantage of your opportunities or it's getting ready to turn. Yeah, which putts just aren't dropping. Putts aren't dropping or you're hitting it good and you're always kind of got a side hill, you know, right to left or coming down the hill you're not going to free up and hit a lot of great putts that way. You know, you, you hit a great, one of my guys at Sawgrass on 16 had been struggling and finally caught a perfect iron, hits the middle of 16, rolls off into the backwater. I, I mean, you could just see his face like, you've got to be kidding me. That's what the game, and then there's other times that he's going to hit that perfect shot and it's going to land three feet short, check up and trickle down to the hole. Right if we're that good to control a one yard differential, we're fooling ourselves. 
Yeah. So our attitude of flexibility and our attitude of adjustment, our attitude of adaptation is critical, is to say, hey, look, I know that this is really, really difficult today. So I'll have a conversation with the caddy. Hey, listen, keep them locked in, work with it. I know they're doing good stuff. Let's try not to overcomplicate it. Because they got great ball control doesn't mean we have to hit a 10-yard cut into a back right pin into a peninsula of water. Like, let's do our job. We're hitting great putts. Let's keep hitting great putts. You keep hitting great putts, guess what? One will fall. Right. Let's, let's keep chopping away here um, and, and go. And I also don't want them to believe that it's going to leave them anytime soon either. They all have that underlying fear. Mm-hmm. Well, it's kind of like this metaphor that Sermon and I talked about the other day, and we're going to do a little short episode on this maybe next week, is like if you think about chess, when you're backed into a corner in chess, what do you do? right? You think, okay, well, I have like three moves here. And you don't berate yourself for being backed into a corner. It's you're reacting. You're saying, how can I get out of the corner? What is my best move? I'm going to do that. And then let's see what they come back with. And then I'll do that again. And I'll do that again. Golf's very similar when you play it well of what do I have? All right, what's my move? What's my next move? What's my next move? And I know everybody says the cliche of one shot at a time, but if you can kind of back into that and accept the reality and then say, okay, what's my move here? Then it's kind of treating it like this, this game versus this, you know, my identity wrapped into everything. Well, there's always a purpose of a shot to hit. Okay. The purpose may be tapping in after making a bogey. Okay. It may be chipping out. It may be hitting the drive after you make Eagle. We still have to understand, I call it PSA. We still have the purpose, the skills, and the attitude. We can do those. It doesn't matter where we are on the golf course. And that's to your chess analogy. It doesn't matter. I still have to finish. Mm -hmm. One of my tour players, older tour players, semi-retired right now, told me a story years ago that where he found his feel was in the final nine holes of a 36-hole U.S. Open qualifier when he was absolutely out of the no chance his caddy had quit on him after going into his final nine he said no i make a commitment i finish and he said i found it then i found it and that led him to having a battlefield promotion on the web tour and getting out and winning four times on the pga tour he's like if it wasn't for that if i had quit on that i would have i wouldn't have found it and we have to understand that being frustrated is okay being disappointed is fine, um, but we can always find the purpose of the next shot, and we can always understand what we're trying to do. It, the hard part is we layer it in there with our self-esteem. We layer it in there with our uh, our values and our expectations, and we think it should be something because I've had success up to this point. Sometimes it's just really, really hard. Yeah, it's you get so down on yourself when you when you feel like you just don't think clearly right yeah too often times you get to a shot after you know after a couple of great swings your adrenaline's pumping and you didn't realize you know you know there's you can't be long right and you hit it make a great swing and you miss it long right <laughs> mm-hmm. or you, or you get up to a shot and you overanalyze it right and then you don't commit to anything better to commit to the wrong shot than not commit at all right yeah and it well we with the natural inclination is to overcomplicate stuff, right? Sometimes elegance is in simplicity. Brett, I know you said, going back to your, I think you said it was a member guest or a member member. Um, you said you weren't working that day, but you still, I mean, you live and breathe this stuff. I'm sure you leverage it in your own game. What, what are some things that maybe you tell your tour pros that maybe you have to think differently about for yourself or for amateurs or maybe some of your personal tendencies that you've worked on over the years as a player? I think the, the one thing for me is I got to have a clear intention of what I want to do. And when I'm hitting shots and I actually verbalize the shot I want to hit out loud, I'll say it out loud. I want to aim it at that tree. And I, my member, member partner, we play with all the time. And he's like, uh-huh, sounds good. But when I do it, my focus is clear. It funnels. I call it the funnel of focus. It funnels in there beautifully. Um, and, and I execute, but I break down sometimes too. 
you know, I'll get caught up on something else. I'll be laughing about something. I'll be checking scores on my phone. I'll break it down. I'll walk up. Oh, let me just go ahead and hit this eight iron down there and lay up. And next thing I know, I'm in the right rough to a tough pin. I tend to get overly aggressive. Um, I, I have no problem hitting the ball with some distance. So I tend to try to take on more. I've, I've spent more time studying my wedges. Um, I'm actually better on par fives with a wedge in my hand than trying to get there with a long club. Uh, because I did some statistical look and I'm like, man, I'm actually pretty good with my wedges. So, um, you know, I, I think I, I don't go through my process. I don't, I typically fall into a situation where I putt to not make a putt to not make a mistake. I went and did a fitting with a club manufacturer. I went to the home office and spent some time with them. And what I found was everything that I've been doing to put in play with my putter was to, I thought was fixing a problem was actually obscuring a strength of mine. And, um, so I've changed my mindset on that. I'm actually a pretty good putter. I think if you had asked people before, they would say, man, if you'd made more putts, you know, your handicap would be plus. Um, the reality is there's two factors in my game that matter. I got to drive the ball in play and I've got to believe I'm a good putter. Um, I put a new putt, a new driver in my hand yesterday and, and, um, putted really well. And that's why I played well. And, um, so, I mean, I think it's, it's just, you got to fight that. I mean, I, I want to play well. I want to have a good time. I enjoy what I do. Um, but I also, we won the member guest a couple of years ago. I came in as a, a handicap that was somewhat mistaken because of, I'd been playing really bad for about eight months. I mean, really, really bad. And I came in and about three weeks prior to the member guest, I found it again and we torched, torched it. And I play, I mean, one no, 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 because, because thankfully I'm a member and they had seen my scores and, <laughs> so they, and know. I, they know, I mean, it, it was legit, but I mean, I went from, I came in as a six handicap and I was, I shot four under on two of the nine hole matches. People are like, my God. And I'm like, but you got to understand, I was so bad for so long. I went from yeah. a one handicap to a six. I mean, that takes some work. Okay. <laughs> but it also takes some work to get it back down to where it should be. And so I didn't have time for it to come around. But I kept telling my father-in-law as my partner, I said, we're not going to win this. You realize that. Like, we're not going to win this event because there's sandbaggers and there's, you know, people get hot and all the other stuff. I said, let's just enjoy four days of playing golf together. Yeah. And we ended up winning it. And, you know, it was, it was fun, but I've got to play those same, same mind games too. I mean, you know, I go to a good golf course. I usually start off really, really good. And then I fade over time because I get more aggressive and I lose discipline. Well, Ev, I know you want to ask a question here in a minute about handicaps and shots and the mental side of that and tournaments, but, but real quick, you talked about vocalization, like Brett, when I was growing up playing, doing a playing lesson with my coach, I played my best golf because what's the plan? What we get over every shot. What are you doing? Mm -hmm. You know, high, low, fade, draw, yep. where do you have to miss it? Well, I got to miss it there. All right, do it. And I did a playing lesson with uh, Steve Danino, who we've had on the show, PGA teaching pro. And I was great off the tee that day. Cause he was just like, all right, what are we doing? I said, all right, cut off the bunker. Boom. What is it about vocalization? Whether you're a, you well, know, a real good player, so, or even an average player, or a, you know, a, a aspiring player. So great focus works like a funnel, right? So the, the top of it, you know, you have all kinds of thoughts and energy that's going through your consciousness it's kind of like clouds in the sky that, that, that analogy has been used a lot, but it's accurate. Um, and what happens is when we're playing well, we can let a lot of stuff go. It's kind of like, uh, over, being overstimulated at a coffee shop. I know there's somebody over there talking about, you know, having an argument. I know there's somebody over there, but I can focus on what I need to focus on and I can surge in and surge out. I can surge in and surge out. That's a good day. What happens is, in the normal step is your first step is awareness and acceptance. And then it moves to strategy. What do I want to do? And then you visualize it to get to execution. Okay. So when you verbalize a shot, you're very accepting. Hey, this is what I want to do. You picture it. And when you say it, it, the intention is very high. The problem is most of us play with an upside down funnel, which is that awareness stage has got locked into a negative shot. I don't hit it left on 18. Okay. Right. So now the strategy is how not to hit it left or how not to lose plane or how to take it back. And so by the time you get over the ball, you haven't visualized and you got 14 thoughts in your head. So I want them to flip their funnel and verbalization is a shortcut. Mm. Um, you know, I, I'll, one of the things I, I get flustered with with my tour pros is I'll, they'll make a statement. They'll, they'll hire a really good caddy, right? And the caddy will come in and say, okay, it's 172 to this and whatever. Okay. I'm like, 
that sucks. <laughs> you can do it in a practice round. You can't do it when it matters. I want the caddy to walk up and say, what do you see here, pro? Okay, I've got, I, I kind of like a four iron. Yeah, I like that. Where, where are you going to take this? Like, but the caddies get nervous too. Sure. Okay. And they get stressed and they also don't want to make mistakes. And so what I'll watch and, and the players was brilliant because I could watch every group. Um, and so I could watch all my players hit every shot they hit, which I hope this is the new standard. It probably will be for a lot of reasons. Um, financially, it'll be tough, but it should be the standard going forward. I could watch my players and realize that there were times that they broke down their process. And there's other times they got, they got, they got, you know, very dialed in. It's why when we hit it in the trees, we have no problem finding the gap because it narrows our focus. You can see it. Yes. But when you're out there in the middle of a fairway to a pin that's got a lot of quote missables in it, you miss it. Let's talk into this example because I think this is actually really common. I've experienced it personally. I know a lot of people have because I want to end. I know we got about 10 minutes here. I want to end on we like to cater to all players, right? So 15, 20 handicap, a lot of times we'll hear course management type talk and mental talk and think about where to miss it when they have a two-way miss and they have no, they have no idea where it's going to go. So maybe let's start there and then I'm going to get but, into okay, more. Okay, so let me challenge that. Play. Yeah. Let me challenge that. So we're going to watch the March Madness, right? Yep. And we all want our player to think about what side of the rim they want to miss their free throws, right? That's what we want when our guys go in the last second of a game. They're up by two. We're like, yo, yo, my, which, which side are you going to miss on? Like, no. Mm -hmm. We can have margins. Let's still hit our shot with intention. Okay. Mm -hmm. When we start living on where to miss, I mean, look, it, it, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to know when you got water in front, we don't want to miss short. Well, most AMs under club, by the way, one of the things I did this week too is I clubbed up all day long. I mean, I just was like, I'm tired of trying. I've got new irons in. I'm, try I'm tired of trying to muscle every iron. And I hit some of the best, finest iron shots I've hit in a long time. And I just accepted it. But we fear long. We fear because, oh, it's going to be a really tough chip coming down. Hey, there are margins of which to miss. That's why I'm a huge fan of Scott Fawcett's work on Decade because he looks at where, not where you can miss, but really where your margins are. Yeah. So if, if you got water short and most clubs and most holes, if there's water short, there's a bailout area somewhere long. Very rarely are they going to punish you both ways. Okay. But it may be, all right, well, maybe it's long right and it's a middle left pin. Well, you know what? Let, and there's nothing wrong with hitting it at 25 feet. Like, like, let's take away, let's, let's maximize the margins that allow us to have some flexibility there. When we drive fast and we drive nice cars, they have great braking systems for a reason. Cars with great power have great braking systems. They have great handling because if not, then you are the average golfer goes out there with no support and you're out there trying to drive fast with no ability to manage the speed. So when you look at a course and you look at a hole, it's like, where do I want to go? We've, I, I'll tell you, I mean, we've got one hole that's um, a really challenging par four. It's about 380 uphill. It's got a very tight landing area and it's got hazard down the whole left um, penalty area. Down the right are trees that run into a creek down in the penalty area or down in the trees. You hit it right, it will go down into the trees, into the creek. And so now you're dropping a ball in the hazard in the trees. You got no shot. If you hit it down the left side, if you hit it in the shitter, you drop and you can hit your third one on the green. You can't do that down the right. Mm -hmm. But if you look at most players, they bail out right because they don't understand the margins. I'm, I, like, I'm, I'd rather you, I'll get on the right side of the, of the tee box and I'll hit a cut down. I'll go to the left margin and cut it because I know it won't go to the right. And if yep. it goes straight or I hook it, I'm okay. Like, I don't want to make a bogey, but it is, it is a extraordinarily, it's probably a poorly designed hole, but it is an extraordinarily difficult hole. So it's, it's the fact of, we got to look at those margins. Most AMs miss short or they blade it and they hit it over. How do you explain that fine line of, well, of where to miss it, but being, it's being aggressive. 
Well, you got to look at it. Where's the margins? Yeah. Where are the margins? Right. right? Yeah. I mean, think about if you're on a highway, you're on a three lane highway and a six lane, three on each side, and there's no shoulder like driving in Philadelphia or something. Okay. You're not going to drive 90 miles an hour because there's no bailout. I hate to say it, but if you're on the open road and there's a shoulder on each side, people are going to tend to be more aggressive, right? If you were racing a race car, you wouldn't be, that wouldn't, the one with no shoulder, no room would not be the place for you to be super aggressive and trying to take on and take down every single racer in front of you. You'd wait for the opening that gives you the margins. We've got to play it to our variants. We can't hold ourselves to our best. And that's the problem. Yeah. I remember you said that last time, Brad, which I think ended up leading to us how we named and branded the episode, but like strike when the iron's hot, right? Yeah. And yeah. I, I know you've worked with your players on that of, you know, you're going to make 80% of your money in 20% of the events. Yeah. So when you got the green light, when you're playing well, that's not the time to press the brakes. Well, I'll give you an example. Right? Brian, Brian Harmon, right? Brian yeah. Harmon this week at the players. He's playing well. He loves the players course. It fits him beautifully. He's got a brilliant short game. He can put the eyes out of it and chip out of it. And he hits the ball straight. You know, people don't think he's very long. He's as long as they need. he needs to be, okay? He's 310 off the tee when it rolling out. Um, but he's going to hit it right down the, <laughs> the pipe, okay? On 17, he took dead aim. He was trying to win the tournament. A wedge in his hand is like putting, I mean, it, that's his deal. That's his deal. So he was, I can tell you, he would have been completely willing to hit, accept hitting it in the water as long as he took his shot. Yeah. But he didn't just take his shot. He executed his shot. Okay. And he texted me last night and, and, We've been working on something on Sundays and he texted me and said, that was what I was wanting. That's that felt good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He was willing to put his butt on the line and go for it. Yep. I yeah. love that. A little bit. And on 18 with JT, you know, he's hitting a draw great all day, but I was sitting there with my brother watching the coverage. He goes, he's going to, he's going to turn it right to left. He's been doing it all day. I was like, man, I think you should just play a cut, little cut over the water. And he almost, you know, he nearly put himself, you know, yeah. out of the tournament. But that's but, the difference between he, winning a tournament because he did it on Saturday too and got very lucky. Right. But that's the difference between winning a tournament and not. I mean, that week he was, he, he hit on 14 and he won. Yeah. I mean, there's some weeks that you do that, but you know what? That's his strategy. And he also knew he had two shots to spare. Yeah, he kind of loses. He did it. He was going, <laughs> yeah, he, he really only ended up having one, but I don't know if Lee Westwood would have hit that shot and hit that putt. I mean, just because there's a big pressure differential, totally. totally different. Okay. So there, there's a whole lot to it. Just it's hard. And I think we all need to give ourselves a little compassion and trust the fact that there are times that things work and there are times that things don't. I mean, there are times that, you know, if I was going out to play golf today, I'd have to fight. Oh man, I'm, I'm, I'm man. You know, it's like the best driver you have in the world has the word demo on its grip. Okay. <laughs> as soon as you buy it and you tell all your buddies, watch this, you might as well yeah. Go ahead and trade it back in for the next demo because right. we've raised our expectations and we changed our process. Let's just stay disciplined to what we're doing. Embrace and appreciate the moments that we're in. Strike when we got it in our hands. Let's not play our misses. Let's play our, our shots. Let's go yeah. from there. That's why we make the first two putts when we try a new putter on the, on the putting <laughs> corral, right? Mm -hmm. um, all right, last question for you because I want to get this in for all the amateurs out there, Brett, and then we'll let you go. Um, I find that the feeling of when you get a shot, you're getting a pop, right? Uh, is actually very similar to my experience with par fives is I'm a longer hitter and I've noticed, I don't have the stats, but I know just generally, I don't score great on par fives. And I also feel a greater pressure come when, uh, I get a pop on a hole, right? Because especially as like right now, I'm a seven handicap you know, my buddy's a scratch. I feel like the, it's easy to feel like the pressure's on you because all you have to do is really make bogey. Nothing worse than a bogey when you're getting yeah, a but, pop. But see, but see how you're already ahead of yourself? Right, right. So, so you're, better, you're better to, instead of 
playing with all that. Like, look, if somebody, if somebody's got a shot on you, if somebody's got, it's like they tell you in match play, don't play the opponent. Just to me, play your game. game. I mean, how many times is somebody hit it in trouble and you're like, Oh, I got this. And you hit it to 30 feet and they chip it up to a foot. Right. And now all of a sudden you're like swallowing your putter. Mm -hmm. Okay. Play the shot in front of you. If you have a pop, you have a pop. You're, you're, I mean, I wouldn't tell you if you have a pop to try to hit 280 over the water. Okay. I would probably say, Hey, let's play to your strength. But you know, it's, it's, uh, to me, like play the shot in front of you. Yeah, you you have, more than likely not to be a jerk. You have a pop because you make bad strategic decisions and you believe in your game more than you should. Mm-hmm. Play the game you got. It's like maybe you do have a McDonald's hamburger, but you know what? It comes through when it's needed and it has a purpose. So play the game you got. Yep, love it. So, any final words or where people can follow you and find you? Uh, you just find me on social media is at, at Dr. Brett McCabe. Just find me there. And, um. You know, I've got a system that I call the attacker model. It's, it's online. If people are interested, they can download and watch it. It's really good. Um, so let me know if you guys have any questions. Will do. All right. Thank thanks you guys. as always, Brad. Love having you on. Cheers. Thank you.